Eastman Astrologers, coming to you live from the city of destiny, Tacoma, Washington, and from Montreal, Canada. With me is an ISAR certified astrologer, folk herbalist, artist, singer, Debbie Stapleton. Yay! Say hi to everyone, Debbie. <laughs> Yay! Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm super excited to have Debbie on, we got to chat a lot during Norwalk, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because we've both been to Norwalk, um, and I think we both had a great time. I mean, the talks were super good. Would you oh, agree with that? Absolutely. You're talking about Norwalk 2020? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, like a pivotal, historic, um, you know, landmark uh, conference. I mean, just such an incredible story. Uh, pivoting at the last minute and adapting and then still finding some way to hold this wonderful space, this wonderful heart space that we always experience when we attend uh, Norwalk in person. And I was just amazed by that, that that came through the electronic ethers and we still connected because I think that was my biggest sort of sadness and concern was I love astrology conferences, you know, for the people and the in-person uh, connection, you know, reading body language and nuance and being in people's energy field. It's like, I find that, you know, grounding and then being in those places with folks really uh, nourishing. And somehow that came through and it was amazing. It was like miraculous. And the talks were excellent. Um, it seems that, you know, their attendance was massive. I mean, I think it was probably over double or three times what they normally be able to um, hold at the at the hotel. If that is that if that's correct, at at least three times. And I think um, mm. that the actual number of people who went to Norwalk was like double or triple how many people usually come. They were able to yeah. actually have a more successful conference online. And it didn't become online until like two months before. And, and they, you can start by, I think I bought my passes um, five months before. And yeah. I, I waited kind of till the end of that initial period. So, so it was late in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was excellent. Um, and I still haven't uh, listened to everything. Um, maybe realistically I might not actually get through <laughs> all the riches and the jewels and the gems because of, yeah, just a very sort of busy uprooting time in my life at the moment. But um, yeah, I think it was really amazing that it seems like that's what people, it felt like that's what everyone really needed. It's like everyone really needed to come together in that way. Um, tap into sharing astrology knowledge together um, and astrology as a tool to sort of contextualize the times, these incredible times that we're going through. Um, again, historic, um, pivotal, paradigm shifting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just big words, big words and big kind of Sagittarian phrases come up when I think about how to encapsulate describing what that was for me anyway. In hindsight, um, and I've been thinking about this, the, the really, the, uh, the talks that I think were benchmark talks mm -hmm. for this conference 
Um, and I'm going to set aside some of the astro magic stuff, which really was groundbreaking. We had two talks oh, on astro magic, both absolutely. by highly thought of um, women astrologers. And, uh, and there was a time when that wasn't even an option at, at conferences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was to have powerful. That, yeah, like to see that that um, track really is developing in the astrology conference model that we need to have a lane for uh, magic, something that I'm studying and, and practicing also. And then, you know, wonderful that it was um, women, like women coming into the space with women's um, perspectives and bringing power to uh, female voices in the magic uh, space. So on paper, I think that was the big deal. If you would have looked just at the itinerary, you know, and compared it. Mm -hmm. I think 20 years ago, someone's eyes would have gotten really wide at that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then we had those two foundational talks. Yeah. Um, that uh, really, uh, by Diana and Bear, Diana Rose yeah. Harper and Bear River, um, which this is what I've been processing. So mm. it seems like, you know, we've, we've gone through the history of astrology. And, and if you just go to 100 years ago, we see where we have this resurgent of Western astrology that comes through kind of this spiritual understanding that sort of got uh, fleshed out by the theological society and then some really brilliant astrologers like Dane Rudyard. Mm. Then astrology mm -hmm. went psycholo uh, psychological. Uh, and that was really where astrology was until maybe the late 70s, early 80s, when we had the emergence of evolutionary astrology. Then we had this mm -hmm. period where um, we had this revival of the old texts. And that was kind of during the 80s, but the information wasn't really available to those folks who weren't in the know until yeah. I'd say kind of the 2010s. And then Chris's book came out and the idea of using the table of essential dignities as a foundation of your astrology is now very normal. People who enter mm -hmm. astrology now, there's no such thing as a 12-letter alphabet, um, which is, <laughs> I don't want to say it's all there was 20 years ago, but it's all there was 20 years ago. Um, and that's yeah. not that long ago, youngsters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but now we have this new crop of folks coming in, and they have access to astro magic that kind of uh, was emerged from the availability of the Picatrix as well as some, um, well, you practice herbalism, which I think played a big role. It helped mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, set the path. And I think that there were all these tools in the toolbox. You had kind of the new agey stuff. You had the psychological stuff. You had mm -hmm. this evolutionary astro astrological soul building stuff. Mm. Then um, the tools and timber just piled up when we had access to the old processes, which in a lot of ways, I don't want to say it's um, cookie cutter because that's not how you do astrological interpretations. And I would further say that some of the um, kind of the Hellenistic or traditional approaches, um, such as zodiacal releasing, um, aren't are, that people aren't fluent in them, and it's not practiced. Um, that's not the stuff everyone's doing. Um, where I'm getting at with all this is it seems like there's all this available resource astrologically woo wise and, mm -hmm. 
And now we have people who are astrologers who are putting those pieces together and applying their values and worldview to them. And this is where I get to when I get mm. to um, Diana and Bear, because mm -hmm. I feel like we're having a turning in the astrological community. I, I don't think it has a name, um, but it is intersectional. It is foundationally diverse. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's based on um, positive change in the world around us, much less than um, just, just, I don't, I don't mean to say just, much less than using it simply as a tool for self-improvement or self-understanding. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I just, <laughs> I just have so much to say about that. I mean, first of all, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> praise the deities um yeah i feel like maybe there's potential here for astrologers and maybe people at at large in the world to realize that we're coming into maybe um a bit of a reenchantment renaissance where i think that we're maybe kind of getting the picture that we are these kind of multidimensional, multivalent uh, beings that truly are magical. We are magicians. And whether you want to claim that and practice that, we're starting to realize that all the ways that we have power to shape our world. And it's kind of akin to me, I think, in saying, oh, I'm not political, but we're now starting to see that even the personal is uh, political and even saying you're not political and saying you're gonna opt out has a power and has a consequence and has a choice. So I kind of feel like all of these tools and these awarenesses and these philosophical shifts are kind of happening where I think even that our sense of self is, is changing. Like we're getting away from a sense of self that is isolated and um, kind of in its own little self psychologizing bubble. And we're getting back into a more animistic web like awareness of the self and that we truly are each other and we truly are interconnected and we are nature in motion. We don't, remember that very much when we're isolated in an urban landscape but we are nature and we have uh, power and we have a role to be custodians of this planet and what does that mean like what do these communities look like what what are the implications i think that there's a huge turning point and a huge unraveling and dismantling of i think it's probably like an old world material overly materialistic uh view i don't know i need to be conscious i'm not rambling too much here but um i'm quite excited <laughs> i feel like there's tools to enact um there's tools at our disposal now to enact the change that we want uh, to be and see in the world and I hope that more and more of us take up the charge according to our gifts and awareness and our capacity. But um, yeah, I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> it, it did. And, and how I will um, 
anchor it back is once that empowerment takes place, I think you use the term multivalent and that's the right term because mm -hmm. I think that the language you're using is very comfortable for me, but we're seeing it everywhere. I think it's amazing yeah. that these mm -hmm. two talks, um, I think I, I said it at the time, I, I, I said it to Diana and she was uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, right afterwards when we were on a chat, I said, you know, your talk um, is the kind of thing careers are built on and it's probably going to change the astrological community. Mm. And just uh, the, the last uh, astrology podcast, Baron and Diana's names were said like six times a piece um, mm. because really it, it's what the astrological community should be focusing on. And then, mm. then we, um, we had this uprising um, over what was honestly um, and unfortunately in every way you can use the term unfortunate, somewhat common event in the United States of America of mm. police officers taking the life of an unarmed black man over a trivial matter. Yeah. And I think that same empowerment, that understanding mm -hmm. that what happens to one person is reflected in what happens to yes. everyone was yes. shared throughout um, folks who have those concerns. And it's clearly a lot of people um, and it blew up and I don't yeah. think it's going to go away anytime no. soon. No. Um, and, and we're still, I, I don't know if we're in the middle of it, uh, if, if this is the crescendo, but it's amazing to me that at Norwalk, which was just a couple weeks ago, I mean. I know, it, it seems like it was a year ago. <laughs> right. Those two talks were the talks. And what those talks were about was the inclusion of all folks in society and what that looks like in astrology. Yes. And then we had this social uprising just minutes later by the yeah. cosmic clock yeah. um, where literally chunks of cities were burnt to the ground uh, because mm. of it, of that same empowerment, that, that mm -hmm. multivalent expression of um, we are all one. And once you, you can't treat any of us this way. No. And I don't want to co-opt anyone's movement. So you, you can include no. me or exclude me from anything um, you choose. Uh, I, I that was my old neighborhood that burned to the ground. And I, I want to think that I would have been out there with my fist raised, but I also have three young children. Um, so I'm not promising that I, that I would have spent the entire night out in the streets. So yeah. whatever disclaimer you need from me as uh, you know, a 40 something white dude um, who, who isn't in his prime take to the streets shape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, it wasn't lost on me, the uncanny uh, timing um, of the content of those talks. Um, for me personally, I think it was like a bit of like almost like a wish fulfillment because I had been sitting, I'm sitting with this process. It's not fully uh, cooked and maybe it never will be, but I'm unpacking a lot. Um, I've withdrawn posting anything on social media. Um, just really, I'm really quite overwhelmed actually just with personal life stuff and everything, but um, a bit of a wish fulfillment in that uh, I need to be doing more activism and more in my own way and more uh, loud allyship. I think I kind of thought that just by being this quiet, kind ally person and that I was enacting 
the things that I value and treasure in my one-to-one conversations, I felt like that was probably, you know, enough. But wanting to feel plugged in and a little bit more, um, you know, aware of what's truly happening in the world and, and in a more like holistic or full picture way. And I just felt like their talks um, answered some questions that my heart had that I didn't even know how to ask and came at a time that uh, I'm getting a little emotional because I felt like the content of, of their talks, how instructional they were, um, how the, the clarity that they offered, um, the tools that they gave me armed me to be able to contextualize and ride the wave that came mm. in the following week. I um, like that. I like how yeah, you did that. I just can't, like I have head to toe goosebumps. Like I feel like the timing itself was some kind of magic that um, is, yeah. So really, really, really proud of them. And, you know, definitely I'm, I'm very grateful. Those were gifts and thank you. So, but I tell you, if I had not had been armed with a bit more context and vocabulary, um, you know, for the week that came after, um, I don't know, I'm still going through it, but I don't know if I would have got through it as intact and centered as I, as I have. And um, yeah, just unpacking a lot, being really honest and coming up against some edges and sitting with a lot of uncomfortability and staying there and sitting with a lot of ambivalence, not in the indifferent or I, you know, a sense of the word, but like holding a lot of possibilities together at once, you know, um, as an astrologer, um, well, just as even, uh, as a person in my vocation, my previous vocation being a hairstylist, I mean, I've always been this one-to-one person holding space, aiming to really see the person in my chair, interpret their needs, help them express themselves. I mean, I had a unique training ground for the astrological consultations that I do. And I've always had this value that I want to truly see people and I, and people are healed by being heard and being seen no matter what, astrological technology or framework you're using, whether you're in the, a doctor's office, psychologist's office, there's been studies done that the healing relationship, the container of it, you know, it's innately therapeutic just by being heard and by being seen. Immediately people start to feel ease and people start to feel better and they feel well. So I'm just always wanting to do that as the best that I can. So if there's blind spots in the ways that I'm seeing people, reaching people, hearing people, I want to know. And I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing. So That was beautifully <laughs> said. So I, we were hoping to get to NORWAC and I was sure we would get to, um, to just what's going on in the world. Um, yeah. But that's not where I normally start the show. So I'm glad we did it first. Uh, because I think that's the appropriate way, given the times. Um, but now, uh, Debbie, since it's your mm-hmm. first time on the show, I want to start with my traditional first question, which is, <laughs> how did you get into all this fun woo stuff? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I was a weird kid. 
<laughs> I had like weird, weird, uh, I was just a weird kid. I, you know, I had a pretty vivid, uh, dream life. Um, I was, you know, very imaginative, very creative, um, it, very, 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 very sensitive. Um, sort of sometimes kind of wondered if I'd been born in the wrong place or what the hell is going on here. So I think I've always sought to kind of find, you know, my own kind of way of describing what is this all about, like searching for like a worldview that encompassed all of it. But I mean, obviously when I was a child, I wouldn't have thought about it that way. I was interested in the stars. I always looked up um, to the heavens. Um, when I was a in junior high school, I um, used to sign out the telescope from the astronomy department of the school, and I used to stargaze. Um, and I had this yearning and this hunger to go to the stars. I wanted to know them intimately, have a relationship with them. What are they? What's the color like there? You know. And I used to, um, you know, fantasize about that. A lot like how do I get closer to them and commune with them and I used to think about technology space travel sci-fi all that and I thought okay well someday we'll get to the stars but probably not in my lifetime and then I think you know I'm browsing around the school library I remember looking for astronomy books and I picked up an astrology book by accident opened it up and learned about a Capricorn and what is that I was like holy shit <laughs> <laughs> I think this is what it was I was trying to find. So astrology has captured my imagination ever since I was um, a young teenager, uh, ever since I knew uh, exactly what it was. So that's, I think, the inception point. That's when I really uh, found it, understood it. And then it was just sort of always there, like an understanding that Something about the stars seems to be connected to who I am and what goes on and the planet. Um, you know, fast forward to the 90s. I'm a, I'm a Pluto uh, Libra here, just to give some context. So I went to art school, um, you know, the early 90s. And where, where did you grow up, Debbie? Oh, I grew up, well, in Canada. I was born in Alberta and I lived in Manitoba for a time. Uh, that's where I went to art school. And in Winnipeg? In Winnipeg and played in, played in a rock band. I was a riot girl, female-fronted, super loud, obnoxious rock band, what have you. Um, but anyway, I was in art school and I used to paint um, planets. I used to pl paint planetary energies. I used to give people readings. Um, so, you know, I've been practicing astrology as like a worldview and as a way to kind of relate to others ever since like the mid nineties. Um, yeah. And it's just been with me so long that it, it, it feels really naturalized, but I'm always really hungry to, to learn more and understand more. So, you know, in the two thousands, eventually hopping on the internet and all of the information exploding of the different branches of astrologies, what there's more than Placidus. Whoa. You know, I got into um, Vedic astrology for a time because I was training. I trained as a yoga teacher. I took some Ayurvedic courses and I saw that there was this relationship, a diagnostic relationship between astrology and the human body and constitution 
and I guess what would be described as like Indian herbalism. And I was on a track to do that. I was like, I, I love this ancient whole sign diagnostic health related interwoven relationship between yoga, Ayurveda, and, um, you know, herbalism, what have you. But then I started to wonder, is there, um, is there a Western equivalent? Because I was learning a lot about these exotic plants that grew on another continent. I was learning about this planetary energy system that had a lot of, um, you know, Indian terms. And then, there, you know, there seemed to be some kind of Indian religion and philosophy that kind of went with that in some contexts. And I was living in North America, you know, I was living on the West Coast at the time, seeing all these plants around me living in a certain um, ecology, a certain climate that felt really different than the continent I was learning from, the meta system I was learning from. Um, Pacific so, Northwest is not the same as India? No. <laughs> I mean, they, but I mean, hey, they, maybe there's parts that are similar, more sure. up north, I'm not quite sure. But um, uh, okay, so where am I going with this? So um, I did some herbal training. I spent a couple of years working with a local herbal teacher um, and learning about the local herbs and wanting to kind of participate in having some relationship with the land that I was on, the ecology I was in, um, opening up to the fact that it's good to interface with the plants that you live near because they're adapted to the climate that you're living in and, you know, got into that. And it's like, well, is there, but I'm in the class and we're learning about all these like chemical constituents and properties and recipes. And it just seemed like this way of herbal information. And, you know, I have a Virgo moon in the third. <laughs> it's a nice uh, herbalist moon, I think. But um, I wanted to organize this. I was like, what the hell is going on? There's like all this, this folksy anecdotes and, ideas floating around about these herbs and I didn't necessarily want to organize it in a scientific way conventionally I just wanted to kind of frame it up so I'm thinking I'm applying this um, astrological system that I knew like um, Vedic astrology um, Ayurveda understanding um, energetic maps and constitution types and how planets are connected to that to try to kind of contain and contextualize and hold all of this um, Herbal knowledge that I was being uh, given, and again wondering, is there some Western equivalent? Because I'm doing this translation to, you know, Northern European descent um, relationship with herbs, but I'm using this interface from another culture um, that is, you know, really cool and it has a lot of universal uh, wisdom. Yeah, and then that's when I found out about, um, let's say, like Nicholas Culpepper and William mm -hmm. Lilly. And uh, I was like, what? Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Classical Western astrology and medical astrology. So um, that I've, that's what I'm doing now with this idea that I want to maybe pick up the threads of um, – maybe pick up the threads of something that's a little bit more, um, you know, generational or ancestral and having more relationship with the land that I'm living in and 
wanting to kind of use the way that those systems are interwoven and what they give access to to help yeah re-enchant my world um the ensoulment of things like um again seeking to have like relationships and and not just be um doing a thing like a bunch of techniques and study and uh I, I want to be in co a communion or some relationship with the world that I'm uh, living in that is, um, you know, authentic and grounded and, and present. So this whole thing, this ramble of my rambling <laughs> into astrology and, and herbalism, um, yeah, this is what it's opened me up to. And this is the, the these are the things that I think about and um, explore. So how does that uh, factor into your practice, your astrological practice? So if a client mm -hmm. came to you and you were um, talking about what's going on with them and maybe you see some, some signifiers and upcoming transits, are you at the point where you might suggest, hey, this might be something um, that would be helpful to you herbally? Um, this might be how you would use it or apply it or uh, have it around. Yeah. Um yeah, sometimes I do. It's like every session is really different. Like I try to stay open to what comes up and what's required and really adapt uh, to the to the needs of the person. Um, but there are some times when I really can can do that. Um, introduce someone to maybe like a single herbal ally that has an energetic that could be really fruitful for them to have a relationship with because of some maybe imbalances that are kind of baked into the chart already um, or because of difficult transits. There's been times when I've been able to share um, some ways people could do that in a more um, ritualized way, like petitions and offerings, you know, really rudimentary just to give people just things that they can do so they feel like they have a little bit more agency and they're in a, in a little bit more of a co-creative uh, relationship with their, their, their life, like showing that there's a little bit of an interplay here. Like there's a whole lot of things that we can't uh, change that we were born into, but we can change our relationship with them. And then in a way that seems to make all the difference, like, um, so yeah, de definitely that will come up, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's just a lot of, um, you know, listening, talking, witnessing people reporting on their lives, um, people uncannily speaking and describing um, the uh, planetary placements in their chart more artfully than maybe I ever could. And then I can point that out to them. Um, yeah. So. I call my thing holistic astrology because I'd like to take a holistic full bodied approach. So if we can dip into health and body stuff, we'll go there. Sometimes it's art. Sometimes it's just talking. Um, yeah. That's a long answer, a long, long answer version. <laughs> so we're going to get to the eclipse chart uh, because mm. we're recording this as I seem to nail every time um, as an eclipse is perfecting. Uh, we're just a couple hours away. 
Um, oh, that's wild. How do you do that? <laughs> I, I, it's amazing. I, it's not intentional. I only have so much time to record, and it seems to hit an eclipse every time. Uh, <laughs> just let you, it's not drawn up. Um, but what, um, what I kind of wanted to talk about is this eclipse in particular seems to be, um, it seems to have somewhat of a purging aspect to it. Um, which yeah. is interesting because it's not, we're, we're, it's a, it's a fringe eclipse. Uh, it's not that on, but what I wanted it, where I wanted to take that is, um, before we pull up the chart, um, you're moving, you're moving right now from Montreal to Vancouver. And I bet you're seeing lots of purging going on in your life as you, you know, <laughs> take your possessions, you know, <laughs> may, streamline them as much as possible. Pack yes. them up. Yes. Purging within, purging without. Like, yeah. there's a real parallel uh, process going on here. Um, you know, all of the stuff that I said I've been reflecting on, learning, growing, listening, unpacking, taking down some of the walls, cleaning out some of the dark corners within in my awareness. Um, it's uncanny that that's physically happening all around me right now. I'm like pulling dust out from underneath the, the bed and I'm, I'm, you know, like you said, you know, I'm, I'm purging and cleansing and organizing and preparing to do this big um, move to go back to the West. So it's not lost on me that, um, yeah, this, this eclipse definitely seems to have some purgative um, uh, significations. Um, I want to have you back on and talk just about herbs. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, mm. and it's super selfish because I have a yard in the Pacific Northwest and oh. uh, it's not thriving and I don't want to put any money into grass because I hate grass. I'd love to plant mm. some herbs um, mm. and I bet you have great suggestions. Uh, but um, I think I'm going to uh, move us on to um, the eclipse chart. Um, All right. See, so I'm going to share it so that you can see it too, because I think that'll work better. And here we are. Um, so we're really close. Um, I'm going to get it. Um, this is set to Tacoma. Um, we should probably set it to DC, given um, that's where I'm guessing this is going to impact everything. But I'm going to leave it here. Um, when you take a look at this chart, and for everybody involved in the Pacific uh, Northwest, we have June 5th, 2020, 10.24 um, a.m. Well, that's not right. Hmm. I'm an hour off. Maybe, maybe two. 15. Oh, there you go. And we go minutes, because I looked. Uh, and I thought it was angular, and it is. Um, so on the on the in the Pacific Northwest, this eclipse is in the tenth and the fourth houses. Um, okay, wow. <laughs> and I'm getting a new fridge, so I hope uh, I hope that's <laughs> I hope that's honoring the eclipse because we've been uh, we've been having a failed uh, fridge for a long time, and in a household that, that isn't something that works. Um, mm. So somehow I'm hoping that that honors this eclipse. <laughs> it shows up today, <laughs> and uh, and it all works out. Um, but just to orient people, uh, in this chart, we have, uh, Virgo is the ascendant. We have, 
the sun in the 10th house in Gemini at 15 degrees. Um, it's, it's just on the cusp of a, an eclipse because the North Node is at 29 Gemini, so right. a full 14 degrees away. 15 is usually what astrologers use for an eclipse uh, cusp. Uh, we have um, Virgo, um, and Virgo is retrograde right now at 12 degrees Gemini, so very much under the beams. Uh, this is uh, this is a Venus. 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 Yes. What did yeah. I say? Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me Virgo. tripping over my tongue. Um, <laughs> not even not even Venus is very. Virgo's place to rising. Be. Virgo's rising. That's true. I just said yeah. Virgo. Uh, and I think that the um, what's obviously the uh, big thing, and I think maybe the purgative part of this chart is we. This is mm. forming. Um, so we have the Moon at fifteen um, Sag the sun at 15 Gemini, and then we have Mars at 15 at Pisces. So an exact yes. T-square, mutable T-square. Um, really, um, the lesser malefic in the daytime where the lesser malefic is less happy, um, yeah, really yeah. forming challenging angles for the two sect lights. So when you look at this chart, um, Debbie, oh, why don't yeah. you tell me what, uh, what it brings up for you, maybe um, mundanely if you want to, but also, um, just inter, just interpersonally, personally, what do you see when you look at this? Well, it it seems to just at first glance be a very critical juncture, and uh, I feel like it represents uh, a turning point that can't be taken unless some baggage is is uh, put down and some veils are torn away that Mars is really catalyzing and pressing on that um, process from Pisces, you know, this sign that's connected to universality and compassion and empathy. Um, but that is needing to take form in a more uh, perhaps fierce and active way. And then it's with Neptune, not far from Neptune. So five degrees. Neptune, yeah, Neptune's got that very like, transcendental kind of um this transcendental sort of si significations like when i write about or talk about neptune it's i sort of feel like it's that representative of this you know unified field of the unconscious collective well, uh you, you or sorry the um i think you know what i mean that mm -hmm. I think there's implications like of Mars, you know, with that um, Neptune uh, pressing on this uh, process and these shock waves or these ripples being felt through this, you know, collective unconscious is I think the term I was trying to say. That's like my kind of like impression. It's kind of interesting for me because I'm in a 12th house year that's ruled by Mercury. So I'm on Mercury's uh, schedule this year. I'm really feeling Mercury's pace um, in this eclipse is right on my natal Mercury on my 612th axis and that Mars is T-squaring from my ninth of travel. So <laughs> I'm really personally feeling like Mars. How's the going, packing going? <laughs> uh, get there's a fire under my butt like I've got to get this uh done and get on the road um and this Neptunian idea is that I'm you know moving back to this um home that 
has this um, sort of like a land that I have like more of a relationship that has held me and healed me. And there's a bit of a dream process going on there. So mm. it's interesting. So really, I'm personally really feeling it. And I just sort of notice like how interesting it is that things that are going on within us um, personally, like this year seems to be this like really uncanny year of instant mirroring or instant karma and I don't mean karma in that kind of um, punitive sort of sense but it's just it's like this quickening it's like if something is happening like within you boom it's also happening in the world around you which I sort of feel like is teaching me about that interconnectivity and some very uncanny process going on there so I don't know, it just feels like a, a wall coming down and a clearing, a clearing away so that we can move forward. I like that. I think this is uh, an incredible chart to welcome the nodes uh, to the mutable signs. And mm. I'll, I'll tell you that my household is full of uh, mutable risings, mutable sec lights. Um, <laughs> and so it's been a lot of, uh, That's lot fun. of, lot of emotions. <laughs> Uh, and with Mars going through a mutable sign lighting everyone up, there's been lots of bumps and bruises and uh, canker sores. My little Pisces rising daughter. Oh. Um, canker sores, not fun. But that's what you get oh. when you eat like 10 bins of strawberries in three days. Um, yeah, all that acid. <laughs> good, lesson, good lesson for her. Um, what I do see here, though, is a really interesting lead up to that period of Mars in Aries. Uh, now, we're not going to branch this out um, and talk about yeah. um, the upcoming eclipses, too, because they're more powerful and, and really right. more in your face. We, I guess we could if, if we want to discuss that. But with Mars making such close contact with Neptune, with really um, approaching the conjunction that we're going to see, um, and it's going to be around for uh, the next couple of weeks, I see this as this is 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 spiritual slash um, that connective tissue that we were kind of discussing earlier. This, this I see Pisces as that um, shared vibe amongst groups. And we see Mars, then we see mm -hmm. heat. Uh, and we'll, I'm going to use the word warfare, even though um, Carolyn Casey urges me not to use such language. But I'm going to use the word warfare because that's in some ways what we're seeing on our streets. And we're seeing that light up um, this, this, lumin this lunation. Um, but with Neptune right there, it's almost like the battlefield's there, but it's fog, such thick fog that you can't mm. see it right through. Um, yeah. and the barriers are being knocked down. Uh, Mars is there knocking them down, but there's just a lack of clarity as to what that means. Um, right. I think, um, we, and maybe it's the only way, maybe Neptune is softening the path. Maybe if we didn't have access to that primordial um, storytelling product, uh, that's why mm. I like to think of Neptune. Neptune's kind of the, the place where story comes from. Maybe mm, if we yeah. have access to that, this would be too harsh for us to consume. Because some of the images yeah. of, uh, of police violence that we're, we're seeing just stream over social media might 
not <laughs> land if Mars were in a more um, challenging position. Um, yeah. So I really see this as, as kind of the portal here, um, such that we have the nodes engaged. It yeah. is one of um, bringing heat and uh, and battle um, to that imaginal realm um, and communicating about it and trying to add that to our our you know you know communicating. We have Gemini, we go down to the bottom, we see the moon in Sagittarius, and we have those those big ideas, those big concepts, kind of our big understanding or our philosophy. Um, and Neptune makes it more challenging to be clear about that stuff. Um, and I think we've both expressed some of that during this podcast for the lack of clarity. Um, but it also yeah. might be laying the groundwork for this to be something we can even consume. And when I say we, I mean not folks um, who are outraged by what's happening or folks who um, think that the, um, that the protests have gone too far. I mean, everyone. I mean, we in like the mass population sense. Um, yeah. That's well, what do you think yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I really think that that resonates. And I think, well, it's incredible because this, this movement, I think probably because of the tool of social media, um, is allowing everyone to, to witness and uh, participate in witnessing and hopefully taking some action. There's nowhere really to to hide anymore. It's like you smell the smoke, but you kind of drag your feet on taking any action. But this is showing us that the fire is at our doorstep. We need to act. So, and everyone, it's in full view, and it's telegraphing. I think through you know the collective. But you know, you're talking about the fog and talking about you know battle, and I know some folks maybe have an uneasy relationship with these sort of militarized um, terms and, and Mars. Uh, well, on one hand, I kind of think that anger has often been, especially even in sort of this therapeutic world, sometimes anger or spiritually, maybe new agey kind of uh, sensibilities, Anger is kind of seen as something to sort of uh, suppress or to fear or, you know, it's toxic. And I think for a long time, people have been maybe counseled or aspiring to sort of weed this inconvenient anger out of their response to what's happening in their lives. And certainly, you know, there's violence and there's the ways that anger is misused. Um, absolutely. But I also feel like our anger is 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 necessary our righteous anger needs to flare and to come forth um that's that's i think a healthy healthy mars because what is the warrior fighting for you know often it's um in some cases it's self-defense and it's protection and it's um you know protecting the vulnerable which i feel like is this um, Pisces Mars um, thing too so I do think that it is a call to arms and I think it is a call to to battle but to take up the tools of righteous anger and really go with that and not try to mute down or tamp down um, 
anybody's um, inconvenient anger because of this comfort that it might be bringing up for you or your own inability to manage your own relationship with Mars and anger and that kind of thing. That's just sort of some where I'm at at the moment um, with my thoughts about Mars and anger. I like that because I think that yeah. that relates to what I was saying about Neptune. Like Neptune might be making our access to, to Mars accessible um, because yeah. it's not, you know, um, people are feeling heated up, but there's so much space for Mars to be expressed in there. There's no limitations with Neptune. Neptune's the opposite mm -hmm. of limitations. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So yeah. that, that makes sense. Like that, that ability for people to have, even people who don't express Mars or anger or, um, and it, another thing that, that's obviously been happening is there's been a lot of anxiety and that's another thing Neptune brings. Um, yeah. Yeah, like if there's like a bit of an of an overwhelm, like a nervous system overwhelm um, and not being sure about like where this is all leading or how to contextualize right. it. And, you know, <laughs> all those could this, be Neptune and the, keywords. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, there's many folks among us in in our uh, communities that are living with trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder and some of the things that can get triggered by uh, seeing what's happening in the world, like, you know, some of the, you know, responses that are, are in the nervous system and in the body somatically and um, mm. what can be popping up when we're seeing what's happening, some necessary action, righteous anger, uh, collective outrage, um, but I think it can stoke some fear and, and worry and concern because, you know, people also want to be uh, safe and we want to have a good life and we want to hope that there's a tomorrow and have some hope too. And I certainly have had these moments where I'm, I'm just really, uh, you know, worried and anxious for everyone. Can we come through this um, constructively, even though some destruction might uh, unfortunately be necessary before we can be constructive. Um, but I had this image, you know, when you're saying like the fog and going to battle, I also had this like visual in my mind of like this battalion and they're charging down into a valley that's just filled with this like white uh, fog and it's like full steam um, charge of the battalion leading the charge of righteous anger and universal protection and equality for all but we're charging into the fog it's like unknown territory and it's almost like an act of faith like you're throwing your entire body mm, your entire like self that. your entire soul into the front line and we don't know um exactly how it's all gonna uh, shake out but there's a dream that if we just risk everything right now for the dream of wholeness and unity that it's an act of faith to charge into the fog because eventually I think it'll clear and we can come out on the other side. But if you fear the fog and say, holy crap, I don't know what's in there. I don't know if I can do this. I, I'm going to turn around. It's like the only way out is through and we need to maybe use a different kind of navigational system. And I think sometimes that's what Neptune's potential is, is to tap into something else that's deeper and more universal and soulful that's guiding you in spite of what um, 
rational compartmentalized thinking might be trying to do to protect your ego um, that might be getting decimated and, and uh, challenged as you <laughs> unpack the, some of the ways that you've been complicit in what has been happening in our world, like these types of things. Um, yeah, just some free, free association about uh, that. But it's a strange, it's a, it's a time for a call for fierce action, but we're, we're, we're moving into this territory of total faith and total un, unknown because we believe that, yeah, it's, it's all on the line. <laughs> we've got we've to move. One um, of the things that's been challenging for me uh, as someone who finds themselves um, on the, on the left side of the spectrum is a lack of a story. And Carolyn Casey talks about this too, about how um, creating the unifying story has been a place where, um, where our team has, has struggled. Um, yeah. And I think seeing Mars head to Neptune, bringing um, heat and energy and movement to the place where story comes from, it, it makes me eager for someone to step forward who can harness the story. Um, and I, I don't know that I'm seeing that, but I like how you put that Neptune's providing an opportunity because I see the outer planets as strong medicine, um, yeah. destructive and challenging in a lot of ways, but when you have um, those events take place, you also have a ton of opportunity because things, are, there's there's a certain amount of change, chaos, shifting, and and uh, opportunity opens up. Um, I, yeah. I one of the analogies they always use um, in sports is uh, if you're taking on a tougher opponent, um, what you want is a muddy field um, because <laughs> that just levels the playing field. Whatever your game plan was, um, it's it's when the field's muddy. Um, you know, it's going to be executed yeah. differently. Everyone's, and, and I think that's a great way to look at Neptune um, in particular, is Neptune muddies the field. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so hopefully we can find cleats with longer, um, <clears throat> longer cleats or, uh, or whatever. Because um, yeah. I, I, I think that the action being taken is fantastic and necessary. Now finding a way to tell the story so that everyone can consume it. Um, yeah. that, that, that's something that can happen, that happens throughout history. Um, but it's, in my opinion, the hardest part. Um, and that, that voice has yet to emerge. And that it's harder for voices to emerge because there's so many places that voices are coming from, more Neptunian stuff. I mean, I, uh, I think yeah. that if we had these mass um, protests, even 20 years ago, it would be very clear who quote unquote the leaders were. But there are social media and, uh, and the way in which we communicate now is so much more diffuse um, mm -hmm. that it doesn't even really happen. Um, it, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's good or bad that it doesn't happen. It's just that unifying story then is harder to come up with. Yeah, like, like um, location. Um, I just think it's really interesting because, you know, as I said, you know, I'm a Pluto Libra generation. I got my first like flip phone when I was 
31, like I remember a time when I had to go home to take a phone call. And when you were out and about, you just, you were out and about and you had to make like um, meetings and appointments. And, but now everybody is everywhere all at once. And when movements are happening, it feels like they're now happening from every um, direction. And I remember, you know, even just like a shift in, in, in say like music and how music has served like political movements or um, had been like voices for scenes or neighborhoods or cities. Like sometimes now I kind of find it hard to kind of locate where say, uh, like the music is coming from or like what it represents anymore because location is just everywhere now. So I don't a hundred percent know like how I feel about that or what I think about all that in some ways it can be really um, effective because change can happen massively from all directions. But then sometimes it's, um, I don't know, it's kind of funny just trying to figure out uh, location like, locating yourself, locating your neighborhood, locating your scene um, in it all. And then for storytelling, I'm, I'm not sure, like, if, is there like a universal story that could um, encapsulate all of the realities and diverse point of views and participants in this pivotal time in history? My position is yes, uh, but if I were able to do it or pinpoint how to do it, then I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, do the stories, are they being written in, in, in the process or do they get written after, are they written after in hindsight? Um, I, I think we might still be writing some of the chapters. <laughs> right. I'm not talking about when yeah. I say the story, I'm not talking about the history of what we're going through. Yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. a voice that a voice. animates um, the the realities of what's taking place. Um, yeah. it's a it's a special skill. It's 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 um it's almost a form of sorcery. Although I'm free, I'm just kind of free interpreting that term. Mm -hmm. So this is yeah. a whopper, and we've got a couple more really big um, whoppers coming up that are going to land right on these nodes. Um, and I would say that this particular lunation is definitely an eclipse, but it's more of a whopper because of that really clear square to Mars. Right. Yeah, it's very um, catalyzing. All right, Debbie, <laughs> I have um, three mystery charts, and these are three people who are prominently in the news. Um, chances are, even in Canada, you've, uh, you've heard of all three. All I want you to do is please just take a quick look at everyone because um, you're going to see three. You're not going to see names. Uh, the, okay. There are no, just keep in mind there are no, uh, there's no birth information, which is in some ways better, uh, I've noticed since doing this. Um, and I think that's because um, then everyone's kind of on the same playing field. And we're only looking at one thing. Sometimes you have birth data that I'm like, oh, what's their progressed moon doing? Like I've got 50 questions. Mm -hmm. um, so I am sharing now. There. You see it? Okay. So this is natal chart one, July 23, 1981, Oaktown, Virginia. And, uh, and we're using 12 noon. So obviously we have a Leo sun. Okay. 
And the moon, we can be confident that that moon's going to be an Aries moon, right? Because it's it's ten degrees away from any boundaries. Right. So I don't know if I can guess who it is. Maybe that's, that's not the not, point yeah, of the exercise. Not okay. At all. No. <laughs> but just reflecting on um, the character quality uh, that might be coming through in this birth chart arrangement. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have a. Not sure about the rising, so I think I'm going to go to this is maybe a day chart. So Sun and Leo, um, right with the North Node, which is very amplifying, um, in the eleventh house of you know alliances, uh, you know good spirit, um, community support. We can't use the houses though because we don't know the birth. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So we've got Leo and then. And we got the sun with the north node in Leo. Uh, so it's a very amplified sun in, in dignity. So that is a very, um, that, that is probably a very like performative and public, um, maybe somewhat theatrical character, maybe a bit of a leader or figurehead of some kind. Um, a really bold uh, Venus and Leo also. Um, yeah, so that's pretty hot and courageous and fiery and present and probably visible. And then we have Mars and Cancer in its exile or detriment with the midheaven, but we don't know for sure if that's the time of day. Hmm. So what do you Mars think about the transits taking place? Think of like the eclipse chart, oh. think of where the big outer planets are hitting this person. So this is someone who's in the news now. You want me to, I can put in the, uh, the dynamic chart so you can see how this relates to that. Would that help? With the transits? Yeah. You want me to do that? Yeah, I think that would be helpful. Okay. Animate flywheel. Now we have to reshare. But also to keep in mind, there might be, um, American, uh, figures that i don't um, which is fine we just want to look quickly at the at where at what's happening to this person because there's going to be three of them and i want to see how how kind of things are hitting these people and maybe quickly like how they're rising to prominence right now based on how transits are affected hmm well that's interesting that um you know they have natal mercury in cancer near uh mars you know that's a a little bit of an uneasy combo there with the Mars and Cancer, because Cancer would like to do these kind of lunar protective sort of actions, but Mars would like to go um, into confrontation and, and battle. So perhaps a bit of a sensitive, protective, maybe overly protective uh, tendency may have been in this person. And then Mercury is going to be coming over their um, natal Mercury. And then, of course, we have the Mercury uh, retrograde coming up soon. So, yeah, I would be wondering if this person is about to be making some kind of, like, um, public statement or coming uh, on the record um, speaking about something publicly that's of, you know, thinking about cancer and uh, health and health resource um, protection 
maybe speaking about something publicly from like a like a health uh, perspective. Wondering they have if they're definitely going... made a bunch of public statements recently. Okay. What do you think about um, where Saturn is, and what else is going to happen at that same spot uh, this this year? Oh, with um, say like the platter, this platter, Saturn Jupiter in Aquarius conjunction at the end of the year. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's opposite their sun in the North Node. Right. Whoa. I don't know. Like, either they're going to maybe be leading the charge on some new um, laws or new social uh, reform or maybe some new social and political initiatives are going to challenge their authority with uh, the sun uh, and the node in uh, Leo. Something pivotal is going on uh, there for sure. And it also is trining their natal. So they were born uh, during the Grand Conjunction. So we see Jupiter Saturn at at four Libra and it's trining the transiting um, Saturn. Yeah. That's interesting. I think that's kind of an interesting resonance that um, if they've got that configuration natally and then the the current configuration is going to try that, it gives me this feeling that that's something about this person um, is kind of made for these times, like something about them. Um, they're sort of like de- something intrinsically linked in their process and growth as a person is intrinsically linked to this huge growth process that's going on um, in, in the times at the moment. I mean, it's okay. if it's a trine, I think, you know, that's, it's a supportive aspect, but what is it supporting and um, facilitating? Um, All right. So we see that this person is intimately connected with the, uh, with where Saturn's at and where Saturn and Jupiter are going to connect, but it's also yeah. opposing their sun and, and, I think you're going to find that you made some interesting comments about their sun and Leo uh, can join the North Node, um, kind of a maybe a destined leadership role. Um, so here I'm going to um, uh, number two, uh, animate bywheel. Oops, I do that first. This is fun. It's astrology on the fly. <laughs> yeah, that's the. I no mean, that's the. That's the entire goal. Is just to quickly look at them. <laughs> Um, you'll, you'll see that these are prominent folks in just a sec. Um, okay. Number two, here we have, um, 8 September, 1950 in Pullman, Washington. So 8 September, 1950 Pullman, Washington. And, uh, and it's again, a noon chart. So we're going to see, um, we're going to see Virgo here. Virgo sun. So Virgo Sun with uh, Saturn. And what were you going to say, sorry? Well, so this what's jumping off the screen to me is that this person's Virgo Sun is at 15 degrees Virgo, which during this eclipse is exactly opposite Mars and exactly square the Sun and the Moon. Oh, look at that. What the heck? That's like a mutable, that's a full-on mutable grand cross. Yep. Oh. That's epic. 
Okay. This is a so, once in a lifetime transit that this person's going through. I mean, to have an eclipse also happen at, at these exact points. Unreal. Okay. So we've got this Virgo sun uh, person who Saturn is really bound up with that sun in this very, you know, um, sort of hmm, like Virgo being, you know, perfectionistic and being very detail oriented and wanting to find, you know, this order and balance and, and harmony and health. But, you know, Saturn enacting that in a very like strong, authoritative, um, serious way. I think this is probably quite a serious person right from yes. day one, very, maybe very pensive, a very deep thinker, um, and really involved with enacting um, exactitudes with Saturnian uh, judgment or justice. Um, but that's being really heavily uh, challenged by that Mars opposition. And then, of course, the eclipse axis figuring into that to make all mutable signs represented here. This is trying their natal um, Mars and uh, Pisces is trying their natal Mars in uh, Scorpio, which is a very dignified Mars. So, but you know, that's the nocturnal domicile of Mars. So this is probably a very um, powerful person, but maybe wields a kind of power that's kind of quieter and not in your face because it's, you know, it's sextile that um, Sun and Saturn in Virgo. The other so thing I think, yeah, the other thing I think that's really interesting about this is we have, this person has <laughs> transiting Uranus, oh. exactly sextiling their natal Uranus, and yes. Mercury is on, is also, right on it. yeah, so we expect some kind of a communication that's disruptive, maybe unexpected. Yes. Oh my goodness. And yeah, that's so basically Mercury giving um, voice or giving like a megaphone to whatever is kind of spring loaded in that Uranus and cancer. Um, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to speak and I'm going to say what this is about. And I mean, it will likely be revolutionary. It may be sudden. Um, okay. So now we're going to go to the third one. This is wild. Um, and I thought uh, my I, chart was going off. No way. I, I pick them for a reason. And I haven't looked at these, by the way. I've not. Um, one of these I did look at, but I didn't, um, I, I didn't pick these because. All right. Third one. You didn't pick them. I, I didn't pick them because I'm intimately familiar with them. So this okay. is uh, 23 May 1950. 23 May 1950, again, 12 okay. p.m., New York. Um, okay. So here we have someone with 15 degree Gemini. So, wow. So this person is also, oh, no, sorry, that's the sun. Where is their uh, natal sun is, is one Gemini. So they do have a- One a, Gemini, yeah. Okay, there we go. Hmm. And I have never looked at this chart. Hmm. Interesting kind of scanning it and just taking it in. Oh, there's a Mercury uh, in Cancer also uh, 
near this person's Uranus in Cancer. So this person's of the same generation as the last person. Yeah, they were born the same year. Okay, interesting. So something about their public um, speech or speaking may also be uh, kind of sudden and maybe revolutionary or... um, so they they might be giving a loudspeaker to that as well. Um... And they're definitely having transiting. So they're what where their natal placement is interacting with this eclipse, this T square eclipse, is they have mm-hmm. the they have Saturn at mm-hmm. twelve degrees um, Virgo. Virgo, which isn't as exact, um, not as dead on, but definitely there. And they have a natal. Uh, Saturn Mars co-crescence very similar to my one of my teams actually natal similar to sorry one of my kids has a has Mars Saturn co-present in in uh, Virgo hopefully they don't end up with oh, oh. <laughs> yeah I mean you've got the two um, malefics or potential baddies together um, being intense together um, very, you know, judgmental and maybe punitive, but also very, um, strong and, uh, reactive. Oh, interesting. And then, okay. So Pluto is with, um, the moon in Leo. But we can't be sure that that's that can't be sure. Right. One thing I would look at though, is transiting, um, Saturn, uh, and the aspect that that's Uh, making to natal sun. Holy cats. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that would be like an trine. exact trine at the end mm-hmm. of the year, you know, after we have this upcoming Mars and Aries epic season. Like, what would the outcome be and what would the implications be at the end of the year of Saturn and Jupiter coming together? Like, sort of, I wonder, just like this this person's like um visibility being highlighted by that um their energy the way that they're presenting themselves being tied up in enacting what that um jupiter saturn conjunction might symbolize which is you know hearkening in the next 200 years of those planets making conjunctions in air and this new era era that we're entering Huh. Very interesting. I'm less excited about that. Uh, I agree with you that that's exactly trining his son in Gemini, uh, the place but, of communication. Um, um, mm-hmm. uh, so these new ideas, this new thought, this new way of implementing developments, just exactly going where this person shines and communicates. Um, okay. So let's talk about the three of them. The first one, who uh, you had pointed out was. Um, was likely a leader. Um, they had a uh, sun and uh, north node conjunction in um, in Leo, and you pointed mm-hmm. to the fact that this person was likely making was communicating about decisions that had to do with health and well being. Those cancer themes, mm-hmm. um, and also um, that whatever is going on in the world. Um, is is making direct contact with um, with transiting Saturn. So they're 
Um, so they, they have, they were born during the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in 1981, and that's going to exactly, or off three degrees trine, the upcoming um, Saturn-Jupiter conjunction at, at one degree um, Aquarius. By the way, uh, this was a, like a, this wasn't the initial conjunction. The initial conjunction of these two planets took place, I believe, um, not at this exact spot, but they, they, they moved back and forth in conjunction a couple times in, uh, in okay, yeah. one. But anyways, um, you said in some ways this person was, was made for these times. This is Jacob Fry, and he is the mayor of Minneapolis. <gasps> so he has definitely been communicating about the health and well-being um, of people. He's definitely a leader. Um, and uh, so all the things you pointed to uh, are clearly um, showing up. Um, someone who's in a leadership position, someone who's been communicating about mm -hmm. um, about big things that have to do with health and well-being, uh, and that this person was in a lot of ways just constructed to uh, to interact with what's happening. All right, number yeah. two. Ah, good. Okay, it just popped up. Number two was. Um, Mattis, uh, John Mattis, the general who was former sec uh, defense secretary under um, the current president, um, you said oh. that this was a really serious person um, <laughs> and, uh, and studious, uh, but also you pointed to their exalted, or I'm sorry, their domiciled Mars. Um, this, uh, the person's nickname is Mad Dog, but they're actually known by his troops as the warrior monk. Oh, right. The covert power right. the quiet power studious and serious and uh, you pointed out the disruption in communication how something unexpected was going to pop up due to this person um expressing themselves <gasps> they just came and he out against trump right right yep unexpectedly and boldly whoa yeah all right very interesting third one this is William Barr, who is the Attorney General of the United States, who is the person who flooded the streets of DC with Bureau of Prison, uh, I don't know how else to put it, soldiers, basically. They were completely covered in militarized gear. They had no oh, name plates, no, um, <gasps> no identifying patches. Um, Creepy. Right, uh, and so we're seeing that this person has that co-presence of Saturn and and Mars and Virgo, and clearly what Barr does is thought out, although vicious and authoritarian, and there, that Saturn, that thoughtful, uh, I, I'm gonna use the term reflective instead of thoughtful, that reflective Saturn in Virgo, that cunning, we can even use the term cunning in the, mm. in the colloquial, not the, not the ancient term, um, mm -hmm. Saturn is caught up right in that T-square um, with Mars, and uh, and the full moon and the sun. Wow. But then uh, comments about the um, Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius being tightly trying his own sun. He's scary. Um, a little worrisome because wondering if he's going to be the representative of maybe mobilizing more um, of his brand of militarized um, security. Right. <laughs> How do exactly we put this? Exactly right. And, the, and this person also, the current um, 
the uh, mm -hmm. Pluto and Jupiter are going to conjoin around 24 uh, Capricorn, and that is exactly currently trining his <gasps> Mars. His Mars. Right. Uh, and again, that's in Virgo, so that's planned out. That's uh, scheduled. And so we saw... Calculating. Was, calculating, I think. Great. Ooh, I like that. And, uh, and he has been um, <laughs> given credit for being the one who cleared Lafayette Square for the photo op in front of the church. Good grief. So this guy is pretty much uh, like an astrological talisman of bad stuff being wielded by the current occupant. Good heavens. And again, I've never looked at this chart before, but now I'm now I don't like it. Well, and I mean <laughs> we can look at um Venus in Aries. That's an uneasy place mm, for yeah. um the planet of love, relationship, and cohesion. I mean, we know that Mars likes to to cut and to cut through, and depending on the context, that's a really good tool. But I mean, in Virgo, that's a very tactical and almost like surgical kind of cutting. And, and if it's applied in a really like tactical or precise way, um, yeah. So, the, okay. I'm going so to say something really mean uh, that his Venus in uh, Aries uh, is going to get hit three times by Mars's transit in Aries. And it's probably oh, telling us that he's going to have a lot of, um, a lot of things <laughs> that he finds sweet and loving in his life. Um, be challenged have he brought to it um, and I, I'm glad good for I'm glad that he's going to have a challenging time because he deserves it well yeah and I mean uh, hmm. so that's like Venus a planet that tries to mend and cohere and and bring um, things and people uh, together in a very you know hot and primal and fiery sign that typically is the uh, uh how do you say kind of the environment for mars to thrive in so that's mm. uneasy so i would have wonderings about that person's um uh health around that time oh. about mars tracking over that uh venus it is definitely the case that this gentleman is an unhealthy looking guy yeah hmm all right <laughs> Debbie, I love having heavens. you on the pod. Yeah, it was, yeah. That, that one was that wasn't maybe the funnest way to end. <laughs> ah. well, what what fun what fun things can we say to to wrap up? Um, uh, we can wish a blessing uh, of the um, the enlivening of his of of Bar's chart in all the ways um, that would be best for the world, and that is our blessing yeah. to him. Um, yeah. But Debbie, before I sign us off. Please let mm. people know how they can find you. Oh, well, um, I'm not super active on social uh, media at the moment while I'm kind of packing and reflecting and regrouping, but um, I am on Instagram. I post my astrology artwork and collage with my daily and uh, monthly forecast there. And you can find it at holistic with an H underscore astrology and i'm also on twitter um at d as in dog suede as in the leather um d suede and um my website is modern-mystic.com if you want to check that out 
it's probably going to be going through some interesting upgrades soon when I have time, but that's how you could find me. Well, thank you so much for coming, Debbie. Good luck with your move. And thank remember, you. you're welcome. And remember, a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men. <laughs> Lovely. I love it. Thanks, Kip. You're welcome.